Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts. I'm your Bible teacher today as we come to the all-important chapter, chapter 8 in the book of Hebrews. And friends, what a thrilling journey this has been, going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the entire book. And today, we begin the chapter 8, and I know it's going to be just such a great journey with you. Well, as we come to chapter 8, we're going to see kind of a summary of the author, how Christ is better. He's better than any priest. He's far superior, and he's established the true covenant. He is the true tabernacle. Christ is the reality of all of the shadows of the Old Testament. We're going to see that today, and we're going to break it all down together. Well, friends, I'm glad you're joining me. Let's get to God's Word today. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 to 5. Christ, the true tabernacle. I'm going to talk to you a little today about the tabernacle. You know, I'm always amazed how the Holy Spirit will orchestrate my week. I I can tell you I am not smart enough to connect all of the dots that God seems to connect for me. So as you know, we have committed many, many months ago to preaching through the book of Hebrews. If you are new to us, today is the 30. Fifth week in our study of the book of Hebrews, and we are just now entering chapter 8. The reason is because the book is so weighty and the book is so transformative. The book is so incredible. We just are taking our time. And we're not trying to rush, and we're just following the leading of the Holy Spirit. And if God says, take a month off, we'll take a month off. No big deal. But we're just systematically walking verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And I don't know about you, but it's transforming my life. I'm loving it. And as we come to the book of Hebrews chapter 8 today, this was planned out many, many months ago, long time ago, being led of the Holy Spirit. Well, right now, I'm reading through the Bible. I have a chronological reading plan that's taking me through the year. And so far, been through Genesis, been through Job, and just finished Exodus yesterday. Well, as many of you know, the instruction of the tabernacle falls around chapters 30 to 40. And that is all about God's instruction of what he wants that tent to look like and the design of it. So I find it amazing that my one-year chronological reading plan fell exactly on the same week as what I am to teach Hebrews chapter 8, what the Scriptures call the true tabernacle. What the Scriptures says, the true tabernacle that God pitched, that God set up, and not man. Verse 5, not the shadow, not the copy, not the example, but the real thing that is in heaven that God showed Moses in a pattern on the mountain. 
It all lined up perfectly. Which led me in my Bible reading, because you know how the Old Testament is, there's so many cubits. And I wasn't, I couldn't get my head around cubits. I, I can't do math in our measurements, let alone biblical measurements. You should see me with fractions. If you just want to laugh, ask me to figure out fractions and you'll just cackle. You'll laugh. You'll think, man, my pastor, he's a one trick pony. That's all he can do is teach the Bible. That's it. And that's true. (laughs) And so I start inquiring this tabernacle, you know, in, in my mind's eye, I picture this tabernacle in the wilderness and it's, you know, it's this tent-like material and, and it's in the center of the tribes of Israel as they're wandering through the wilderness. And I'm just picturing, you know, this small, you know, like they're, they're going to pack it up. They're going to take it with them. And I just picture this small thing, not small at all. Did you know, and I find this so fascinating, did you know that the tabernacle was the exact measurements as our auditorium? 75 feet wide, that's wall to wall, and 150 feet deep. Our worship sanctuary today was the exact measurement of what the Old Testament tabernacle was. Now that's for now, because God's moving us to Fort Henry Drive, amen? Amen. And he's going to enlarge our borders, amen? But for now, and where we are now, it's the same measurement. Imagine this entire space Empty of all of our stuff. All the chairs, the platforms, the screens, the lights, the podium. Imagine everything empty. And the only thing in here were the altars of the Lord and the items that was in the Old Testament tabernacle. I want us to think about that today. I want us to think about as we look at verses 1 through 5 together, I want us to think about what worship was then and what worship is today. I want to ask and I want to answer this question. Why was God so detailed in the old covenant? I mean, down to telling them measurements and times and what they were to sacrifice, when they were to sacrifice, who was able to do it, down to even the mixture of the incense and the perfumes. All of the offerings that they were to make, the burnt, the grain, And so on and so forth. God is a God of precision, is he not? And why was the old covenant and why was the old tabernacle set in the way that it was with the rules and the statutes that it was? But when you get to the New Testament, you know what rules there are to a worship gathering like today? You know, the Bible doesn't tell us what time to begin our services. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us how long a Sunday morning ought to be. You know, the scriptures don't tell us how many songs to sing. 
It doesn't tell us how long the preacher can go. Don't you wish it said like 10 minutes? Wouldn't that be nice? The scriptures don't tell us what the look of a church ought to be in the New Testament. It doesn't give us any restrictions whatsoever on what it means to worship God Almighty. What do you suppose that means? I want us to think about that today. I want us to do, I, 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 want, us, I want us to let our minds go back to what the tabernacle was, that 150 foot long, 75 feet wide, that amazing tent that the scripture says that when it was complete, the glory of God fell upon it, that the fire of God burned within it so that every man in Israel and every family saw God and dwell his tent. And what does it mean for us today? These are weighty issues. I want you to look, Hebrews 8, verse 1. Now, the point of what we are saying is this. I love how the author does this. Now, you have to understand, we have, we, we, when it comes to the idea of Christ being our great high priest, I want you to understand this is the rhythm. He is striking a chord. He is striking the tone all the way through the book as we have studied for weeks upon weeks upon weeks. And now he's bringing it to a crescendo. Now he's bringing this final summary of Christ as our high priest. And in everything that he has said, he now begins chapter eight, verse one like this. Now the point of what we are saying is this. Here is the conclusion. Here is the summary. Here is my main point. And look what it is. We have such a high priest. We have such a high priest. We have spent weeks seeing how Christ is our great high priest. And let me tell you how beautiful that is, because the scriptures say that when you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. Do you know why the angels can, the, the, the fallen angels, those, those demons that went into rebellion, do you know why they can never be eternally saved? Because they don't have the great high priest. They don't have an advocate with the Father. See, you and I were born into the same rebellion we're hostile toward God until the grace of God turns our hearts. And now we have a great high priest being Christ. We have this priest, this, this representation before God for the forgiveness of our sins, for the daily grace that we experience, for the strength to go forward, for spiritual maturity, for what does the scripture say? Christ is the vine. We are the branch. And everything that we need is in Jesus Christ. Amen. And look what it says about him. 
who is seated. Now, stop right there. Because this is something that I want you to understand. If you go back into Exodus and you do read chapters 30 through 40 and you see everything that was to go into that beautiful tabernacle and you see all of the furniture and God gave great specifics and he gave people who had tremendous skills who could build it. The people brought free will offerings of gold and of their woods and their stones and everything that was needed. And oh, how I enjoyed the chapter where the, the, the men of skill had to go to Moses and say, tell the people to stop because we're flooded. There's no more room for things. Oh, how that had to please the heart of God. And you know, I was thinking this morning in my Bible reading, I was thinking, how did Israel, this is a head scratcher for me. How did they obey God in the smallest minute of details of the tabernacle, down to colors, down to stones, which stones that they were to use, down to even golden brackets. How did they obey God down to the finest of details? But when they came to Kadesh Barnea, they would not go into the land. And could you and I be in the same danger with the Lord? that we trust God in these areas of life, but we don't trust him in others. We're obedient to God in some things, but we're not wholly obedient to the Lord in other things. Am I speaking to anyone today? So the tabernacle, this... Go back and read the furniture. And do you know what you never find in the tabernacle? This, is, this astonishes me. You never find a chair. Do you know why? Because the work of the priest was never complete. The priest, as long as they were serving, at daybreak and at twilight, the priests were never allowed to sit down because their work was never done. But yet our great high priest, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ is complete. Amen. And where is he today? He is seated. In other words, it is done. It is complete. And that goes back to Hebrews 7. That's why he can save to the utmost, to completion. Christ can bring your salvation, your spiritual maturity to full completion because he has completed the work. Amen. And because it's complete, he is seated. Where is he seated? Well, what did God promise him? God said, sit at my right hand until I've made a footstool of your enemies. And where is Christ right now today? He is seated at the right hand. And look at the language. Oh, I love it. Of the throne. Not only could a priest, you might want to put this in your notes. Did you know that of all of the priests in Israel's history, from Aaron in the book of Exodus and Numbers to the destruction of the temple 30-some years after Christ was crucified in A.D. 70. Now, friends, we're talking centuries here. Did you know there were only 83 high priests who served? 
Now you think about that. You think the president is an elite club? 83 men were able to walk into the very presence of God during all those times. 83. Yet they were never allowed to sit and they were never enthroned. Why is Christ seated at the right hand of the throne? Why? Because he's not after the order of Aaron. Remember, we learned that. He's after the order of Melchizedek. And what is the order of Melchizedek? The fact that he is both priest and king. And that's why Christ is seated at the right hand of God in Throned because he is king of kings and he is Lord of lords. Can someone say amen to that today? And where is he seated? Note what your Bible says. In heaven. Now, this is significant because you have to understand. You, you, you have to understand God set the Mosaic system up. And, and I have just noted in all of my reading in Exodus over the last week or so, he always says, and this is for your generations. So you're talking about Christians who are now baptized as a Jesus follower. They're turning their back on generations after generations of the way that they worshiped God. And what is happening to the audience of the book of Hebrews is the temple is still standing. The sacrifices are still being made. The high priest is still entering in. And so what they're doing is they're saying, look, you're seeing the, the, the real thing. You're seeing the temple happen and you're outside looking in. You've turned your back on this thing. And you know what the author of Hebrews is doing by the Spirit of God? The author of Hebrews is saying, oh, no, 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 no. See, you're looking at an earthly. You're looking at a type. You're looking at a shadow. You're looking at an example. The real thing is in heaven. And that's where Christ is seated. You want to follow man? You want to follow Levitical priests. You want to follow rituals. You want to follow ceremonies. You want to follow religion. Something you can see with your eyes. Or do you want to follow the genuine, the real, which is Christ in heaven? The whole point is that Christ is a superior high priest. Better than the 83 that ever served Israel. Better than any man that you could ever follow or put any trust in. Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. Amen. And then look what it says. A minister in the holy places. The true tent. The real thing. Which God set up, or I like how the King James says, which God pitched. Do you know what this is referring to, church? If you will, take a, let's do a scenic route for just a minute. Go to John 1.1 with me. John 1.1. Let's just uh, explore this for a few moments, and then I'll move swiftly through the rest of the text. <clears throat> what are you guys doing for lunch today? I'm available, so if anybody 
is doing steak or anything like that. No, actually, I'm not available. Unfortunately, I have a funeral service to do right after, but I hope that you enjoy lunch, and next Sunday I'm available. No, I'm not, actually. That's not true. I have a finance team meeting next Sunday. Man, we're going to have to do something about this. Saturdays are normally good. Give us a call. Anyways, <laughs> um, John 1.1. 1, 1. Now, look at this. You know, sadly, in our culture that has so twisted Christmas, that has so twisted the idea of the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there are many in our culture that very erroneously, they think that Christ did not exist until he was born of the Virgin Mary. Friends, that is not true. Christ has always been. Look at the teaching here of the text. In the beginning. Oh, what a way to start the Bible, the Gospel of John in the Bible. What a way to begin. In the beginning. Many of you know I'm in a writing project right now, and those that first sentence is so crucial. That's the hook. You got to you, 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 you get that first sentence right. I think, oh, Holy Spirit, what an author you are. He's the greatest author that's ever been, isn't he? By the way, he's the author of your salvation and the finisher of it. Amen. He's writing a story with your life. In the beginning... The word, the Greek there is logos, the complete word of God, Jesus Christ. In the beginning, the word was with God. Now, see, that's important because that makes him distinctive. That's, that, that sets him apart. Not only is he God, he was with God. He is part of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, oh, here it is, His deity, was God. Amen. Somebody tell you that Christ is not God? Oh, you turn a deaf ear and a blind eye to Him. Amen. You put your nose right here in John 1, 1. He was with God, and He was God. And what's it say? And the word became what? Flesh. Now that's his incarnation. The perfect, the spotless son of God became the lamb of God. And he took on a robe of flesh. And Hebrews breaks this so down. It talks about the days of his flesh. And we've learned so much. He lowered himself. Lower than the angels for a time, for a season that he walked the earth. And what does it say this flesh did? Oh, this is now say amen if you're with me right now. What's it say the flesh did? It dwelt among us. Do you know what the Greek word for dwelt is? Tabernacle. The Son of God tabernacled 
Do you remember we said, when the tabernacle in Exodus was completed, what happened to the tabernacle? The glory of God fell upon it. Exodus tells us there were some 653,000 men. uh, The census of Israel at that time. 650,000 men. That did not include their wives and their little ones. Imagine how many people we're talking about. And the scriptures say they beheld the glory of God falling on the tabernacle. And what does Paul say about the Lord Jesus? We beheld his glory. Why? Because he came to tabernacle among men. What is this? This is the tent that God pitched. This is the tent that God established and he did it without human hands, thus the virgin birth. Is that making sense to everyone? So now we have this great high priest who is so far superior to any of the 83 that ever served in Israel's past. You know, uh, let me, (laughs) forgive me. Uh, I'm going to begin to land the plane here. Okay, I promise. But uh, I've enjoyed my Bible reading so much. And I was reading Aaron, and I'd never seen this before. Do you remember when Aaron did the golden calf, the false god? Do you remember the scripture says that he took a carving instrument, a carving tool, and made the golden calf? When Moses comes down from the mountain, and he's in big trouble with God and Moses... Aaron says, don't let your anger burn against me. We put it in the fire, and it came out a calf. That's a lie. And this is our high priest. What a beautiful testimony that men are nothing more than clay feet. Nothing more. Let me tell you, precious child of God, you better never put your trust in a preacher or a pastor or a televangelist or anyone with clay feet. Amen? Not when you have such a high priest as the Lord Jesus Christ. Am I making any sense to anyone today? Where am I? Verse 3. What is Give me verse 3. Somebody help me out with it. For every uh, appointed uh, gives gifts, serves, gives gifts, sacrifices, and thus necessary, what is it? He had to have something to offer. What's the point? The role, the purpose of a high priest is that they offer gifts, sacrifices on behalf of sin. See, what what the point of the text is, is if a man is going to represent you before God, he has to offer gifts and sacrifices for his own sin first before he can even represent yours. But see, Jesus... Now say amen if you're with me right now, because this is fantastic. 
If Jesus was going to be our high priest, he needed a sacrifice to present to the Father. Do you, do you know what Jesus did that no high priest could do? Jesus is not only our great high priest, but he, his body himself, is our sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God. And when he presented himself, when he died, at the exact same time on the cross that Passover was happening and the day of atonement was taking place and they were slaughtering the lambs, the Lamb of God was slain for the sins of the world. Friends, it is amazing. So now he's able to present his own blood once and for all. He's able to make a new covenant with his people. Do you remember what he told the disciples in the upper room? This is the blood of my covenant, this new testament, this new covenant. My body broken for you, my blood shed for you. That now he supersedes any man, supersedes any high priest, supersedes any religious system, supersedes any temple or tabernacle. And now where does he minister? In the reality in heaven. Help, help me with verse 4 real quick. I, I want to move along here. Oh, yes. If he were on earth, he wouldn't serve as a priest. Why? In other words, if, if Christ had remained on the earth, in other words, if he hadn't died the death, been buried, rose again, and ascended to the Father, he would have never been a priest. In other words, what the author is trying to say, had Aaron only went to the brazen altar and had never taken blood into the Holy of Holies, his work would have been incomplete. Had Christ only been born, his work would have been incomplete. Had he only died a death upon a cross, his work would have been incomplete. But no, because he raised from the dead. And because he presented his own blood to the Father after his ascension, the work is now complete. Can we say amen? amen. And now verse 5, and this is where I'll begin to close. So here's what the author's saying. If you want to follow man, then go back to the shadows. Go back to the Levitical priest. Go back to somebody representing you before God. Go back to something you can see, but all it is is a, car, a copy. All it is is a shadow. It's not the reality. Do you see his logic? Because Christ is better, he serves in a better place in heaven. Because Christ supersedes all humanity, he is now seated at the right hand of the majesty the right hand of the throne on high. What a Savior we have. Amen? So what about you today? Are you trying to get to God on your own merit? Are you trying to be good enough? Are you trying to be religious enough? Are you trying to clean your act up? Are you trying to get better before you come to God? Friends, that will never happen. Because your good will never be good enough. But see, you have a priest today. You have Jesus today. 
who can take his own blood and completely cleanse your life. He can take his own blood and save you to the uttermost. Will you look to that today and not yourself? Maybe you're here today and listen. Room filled today. So many people watching online. I don't know your background. I don't know where you're struggling. But I know this. You personally have a security in Jesus that no other man, no other church, no other pastor, no other leader can give you. It's Jesus. Amen. Look to him. The founder and perfecter of our faith. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed today, is your full confidence in Jesus? Is your full hope in him? Or are you just being religious, hoping you're good enough, hoping you're doing it right, hoping you don't blow it, hoping you don't mess up again? Friends, that's no way to live. The way to live is to come to Christ who loved you so much that he laid down his life for you. And to say, God, I lay down my life for you. I surrender myself. I surrender my will. I surrender my attitude, my sin, my failures. You know, it takes something to give your failures to God and to admit them. Surrender all of you today to God. Why don't you pray with me right now, wherever you are, watching, listening, or in the building. Pray with me right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for becoming a sacrifice for me, for shedding your blood for me. Cleanse my life today. Cleanse my past. Cleanse my present. Cleanse my future. And save me to the uttermost. I receive you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you visited my online store? where you can find books, music, sermon series, and so much more. I hope you'll go there today, awakentograce.com slash store, and keep checking back because our resources that are designed for spiritual growth are always growing. awakentograce.com slash store.